And we are live. Greetings, friends of the apocalypse. Welcome to Podcast at Ground Zero, your home of the apocalypse. Episode 52, our top five post-apocalyptic TV shows. Uh, the other week we did uh, po our post-apocalyptic movies. Uh, so this week we're doing our uh, favorite post-apocalyptic TV shows because it's the end of the year and everybody does like, oh, what's the top so-and-so of this and top so-and-so of that? Not to mention, sir, we're, we're phoning it in for the holidays. We're, we're phoning this one in. This is not... We're not busting our asses to make this episode. Oh, no, I busted my ass to do this, sir. I don't know about you, but... Uh, you turned around and looked at the DVD rack behind you and went, ah, uh, that one, that one, that one, that one, that one, done. Well, because I have I have tons of post-apocalyptic TV series on my DVD rack. Clearly, you've done the work over the last 30 years. Yes, I've done the yeah, work. But, but also, it, again, it's, you know... It's timely, end of the year, post-apocalyptic shows, uh, TV shows, top five lists. So, anyway, folks, I, Jared Walsh, the Apocalypse Nerd, William T. Thrasher, and Adam Bomb Glancy are joining us tonight. We are going to do our top five post-apocalyptic TV shows, or some of our favorites. Like uh, like I said, we did movies the other week, and that was going to be TV shows. Now, when we were doing TV, well, I'll get to that in a second here. Um... The only thing uh, post-apocalyptic I have to share, like I showed, uh, I was able to get my hands for a reasonable markup. Reasonable. Re reasonable markup, because when these first hit, uh, I guarantee you, because I missed the pre-sale, I guarantee you 80-plus percent of the people who bought it bought it just to put it on eBay. Guaranteed. Because when people got it in their hands eBay and Amazon were flooded with them. It seemed like every single one that was sold went on there. So now it's been a month and a half or so, and it's, the market's drying up a bit. So people who are getting $200, $250, $300 out of the gate, they're not getting that money anymore. So I was able to get my Pip-Boy edition of Fallout 4. So it's pretty cool. It sits up on the shelf right next to the uh, uh, the fat uh, fat boy uh, bomb right up there on the back shelf there. So I was able to get it for only with shipping. Uh, I paid 157, which is not bad considering uh, the presale was 120 plus shipping. So I only paid like maybe about 30 bucks of a markup, which for a collectible that was hot as it was that. That's not bad. You know, I've been buying and selling stuff on eBay since like 1999. That's not a bad markup at all. So I was able to get my hands on that and very happy with that because I kicked myself in the ass left and right for not getting the pre-sale when I could. <laughs> so um, now, that being said, yes, Mr. Glancy, I did break open the game and I did start playing a little bit. Not not a lot. I got I got I got a Dude, I don't got the time to to sink in, you know, weeks. It doesn't of matter if you have the time; the game will take the time. Yes. You'll find, you know, you'll you'll you'll. What was that? Remember that scene from uh, Spaced, where he shows him sitting in front of the PlayStation, and it's that sort of fast forward time thing where you just so the the sun goes down outside, you know, while he's there in front of the you know playing. I think he's playing um, Tomb Raider. I think. No, no, no. It's the one with the zombies. Oh, Resident Evil? He's playing Resident Evil, and you can see the sun go down and the sun come up while he's he doesn't even blink. He's just, you know, you know, that's that's what the game will do to you, sir. 
I, 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 I know, I know, but... Um, I'm, I'm terribly jealous that you have the, even remotely have the kind of time to be taken away by that uh, terrible, terrible game. Oh, I, I've only played it, I played a little bit. You know, I got through the introduction, I got through getting out of the vault. Uh, it's okay so far. Did, um, did, you, did you make a face? Uh, yeah, I didn't mess with it that much. You know, I mean, some of these people were making some incredible-looking, uh, like, how did you make that look like, you know, uh, Imperator Furiosa. Like what, Will? Imperator Furiosa. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. oh, yeah, people have been doing some crazy stuff. And I, I just, because I guess these must be people who have been playing with games that do that stuff, because I think they have that kind of thing in, like... Uh, Skyrim. Uh, Bethesda's done a number of those. Yeah, well, a lot of people said it has a very Skyrim feel to it, and I never played Skyrim, but I could kind of see that. But I mean, it looks it looks good, you know, especially on the Xbox One. Looks a lot better. It looks a lot better on our on our new uh, on our new TV because I've been saving and I got a 60 inch TV now, so it looks. Um, it's all about the inches with you people. It is. It is. It looks amazing <laughs> and interesting concept. Um, like I said, it's okay to start. It's 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 definitely super heavy crafting. Even more, it seems like even more so than Vegas was. Well, you know? and, and Vegas, crafting was something you could do, but even on uh, the higher difficulties, I never had to craft in order to have all the ammo I cared to have. The only thing I had to worry about was how much I was carrying. Yeah. Um, but... Yeah. Uh, but but uh but if they uh, my understanding is from the little bits and pieces of news that have slipped past my attempt to keep a wall up is that you're gonna run out of ammo all the fucking time. You have a gun you like? Congratulations, there aren't enough bullets for it. I've been in that position. Uh, I'm as you can see, I'm not in my normal uh, home studio. I'm actually at the uh, guest room at my parents' place. I'm having an extended vacation uh, in Virginia for the holidays, uh, and my brother was nice enough to let me play his copy. I've gotten to the point where I founded my first settlement. I'm having a very, very good time, but yes, conservation of ammo is very important. I didn't, uh, yeah, I, I didn't really hurt that, but I've been trying to, especially in the beginning, trying to use other, other. Uh, but it's weird how in that, yeah, how in this one in Boston, a larger population area where there is manufacturing, there's less ammo, but in the DC wastelands where it's completely the wastelands, ammo is pl a plenty. You know, so it's kind of weird how that is. You know? Military stockpiles. Ah, fewer people, fewer people to use it up. That's true. Uh, but yeah, but you can't, I don't think you can make, I didn't know that, you can't make ammo. You can make everything. You can modify your weapons, your armor, you could cook soup, you can make chemicals, you could, there's so every kind of crafting, but you can't make ammo. Yeah, I have not found any way to make ammo. It's like, I can modify and build power armor, but I can't make ammo. So that seems a little silly to me, uh, you know, but uh, but yeah, but I said there's a lot of workbenches, you know, modify your clothes, and I was worried that the weapon crafting thing was going to be so ridiculous because like, listen, I just want a weapon and I want it to work, but the way they built it, it's not too bad. It's like, okay, here's your base weapon, okay, you want to you want to specialize in maybe longer range, okay, you can do some extended, you know, put a stock extended or some different grips. It's not it's not too crazy from what I've seen. Like it's you can just leave it as a base weapon, or you could do some modifications, but it's nothing outrageous where it's like, oh, I'm going to duct tape, uh, you know, a telescope to the top or anything. It's just... What was that uh, game set on the alien planet that was post-apocalyptic? They made two versions of it. Uh, Borderlands? Yeah. 
Um, That one had a reputation for the weapon system being ridiculously modifiable to the point where you literally had more weapons than you could ever play um, available to you. Yes. Yeah, basically, I think it has a lot. I think this game has a size of a lot of base weapons, and you could just do modifications to them. I haven't got I said I haven't got that deep yet, but it's got like it's got sitting areas where you could cook your rad rad roach meat, you know, so it's edible and not radioactive, you know. Uh, well, apparently they've made radiation far more annoying than it was in the earlier games. Uh, yeah, like I said, I, I don't I haven't got that far in yet, but um, yeah, it's definitely. Because the way I play, I, I, I spent I, I spent a few hours on it already. Then all all I've done is explore the ten houses outside the uh, out, outside of the out of the vault and went to the gas station. Because I've looked at every house, and every nook and cranny, and looked yeah. and picked up every little thing. Because that's how I play. Because I might miss something, so I got to look everywhere. Well, here's my here's my big question for you. You were always giving me a big ration of shit because I would sneak up behind guys and shoot them when they weren't looking. And that was how I killed everything in Fallout both times through. It was just, you know, Joe Sniper, you know, no direct confrontation with anybody um, if I could possibly avoid it. Uh, and you were always, hey, did a little right down the middle, just hit that hot key with the fucking, you know, uh, uh, stim packs, bam, 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 and just shoot the shit out of everybody. How's that working out for you in the new game? I, again, I haven't got that far yet. I've got, I've, I've made it to the gas station, where, where I got, a, where I got attacked by uh, at least ten mole rats, and I was scared. Ah, running away, trying to stop. Dog, kill them, please help me. You know, so. <laughs> okay, so clearly you are not, you are not Lord Humongous yet. Oh my God, probably, <laughs> probably never. It seems like that might be kind of hard in this game. <laughs> so, but it's but it's definitely different. You know, the dialogue trees are different. You know, that changed that a bit. I liked how the old one had the three you know different dialogues, and some of them are very amusing. Now yeah, you could really, yeah you could really choose from. Now it's just like you just pick the style of the response. Yeah, you want to be sarcastic or, or yes or no. It's not. It's very a real trend in recent games. It's not. It, it's not as interesting. Uh, I I will, I will say that I enjoyed the old one. Where you had different types of answers you could pick. Not, not to mention you got to see the answer, and it says sarcastic. It's like you know you pick sarcastic, and it comes up with a response that you're like, oh no, wait, I didn't mean that sarcastic. You know, I didn't mean oh and fuck your mother. You know, as part oh, of the response. And it it also doesn't it also makes it to where because part of the humor of the game was like you could play low intelligence and get some of the most ridiculous responses and questions to ask people yeah. Yeah. you don't get you don't get that in this game that's unfortunate the, that because of the way you, you choose um, uh, your your responses that's really sad i i am still not done with my new vegas run through taking you know tardy the the mutant through the wasteland and having him just be stupid at every opportunity um it's a, it was incredibly amusing, but you know, um, I'm sorry to hear that they didn't uh, go with that option. Go yeah, on. so so we'll see we'll see how it plays out. As I said it seems uh, pretty interesting so far. Um, all right, so that 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 the only other thing move, move on before I start crying. Okay. Yeah, no, uh, the only other thing is uh, I've been talking about it and I ha- I just got it today. No thanks to the um, shipping fulfillment center that the people who did the Kickstarter chose 
to do all their order fulfillment, which it was smart to do that because they could get it there quicker. But the company that they used used DHL for a lot of their shipping. You know, basically DHL brings it to the post office. Yeah. All I know is it took DHL a week to get it to the post office, and then another. And then the post office was only a few more days. My my Pip Boy edition got sent media mail, which is notoriously slow to the yeah. post office. I got it in four days. Hmm. DHL took a week just to get it to the post office. So that was problematic. But I was able to get my copy of Post Human. All right. What is Post Human? It is uh, basically it's a it's a it's a tile and card hmm. and chits and a lot and almost too many fiddly bits. But uh, we'll see. Um, you know we know how you feel about the too many fiddly bits. That has put you off of uh, Arkham Horror and a couple other games. Yeah, but it's not. Uh, it doesn't look too bad yet. But it's basically uh, post-apocalypse. Humanity's dying out. Uh, there's mutants. You are trying to get to this fortification that's supposed to be the last bastion of humanity. And as you're going along, you're trying to go along with other people are trying to get there as well. And you know, along the way, people can turn into mutants. You know, just from things that happen to them, and they can try to stop you and stop them. So th- basically, you're just you're trying to get you're you're trying to be the last man to the uh, to the fortress. So it looks pretty interesting. I haven't really had a chance to go through it yet. Cause I just got it this morning. Um, you know, I got to go through and make sure all the components are there because there was, you know, quite a few people complaining about uh, components not being there. So I got to make sure everything's there with the expansions. But it's hefty. This box is like it's like four and a half. It's like four pounds. It's there's a lot of crap in here. So, so I got Good. that. Once I uh, get that cracked out, also have solo versions. I'm gonna I'll report more on it. I'm also want to try to get the guys. I talked to them at Gen Con about seeing if I can get the guys from. Uh, 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 Mighty Box Games on the podcast, so we can talk about the game. So okay. I talked to them previously, and I got their business card here somewhere, and I'll, I'm going to give them a. I was waiting till after the holidays, you know, once they get all their product out, and they have to deal with all their customer service stuff, and you know, all that kind of crap. So, so there you go. All right, so <clears throat> let's move on to our uh, top five lists. All right, top five post apocalyptic TV shows. I am going to start this time with Mr. Glancy. Uh, what is your top five? What is your number five? All right. Well, I'm going to go with something that is actually uh, terrible, but I've enjoyed. Uh, and I enjoyed it a lot. And I must acknowledge that it is terrible. But um, it was uh, it was one of my first tastes of post-apocalypse outside of uh, a couple of movies. I mean, I, I think my first taste of post-apocalypse would have been, you know, a couple episodes of... Uh, there's a couple of excellent episodes of uh, Twilight Zone that are out there. Um, poor old Burgess Meredith is having a bad time in the apocalypse, and uh, Star, and um, Star, Star Trek had some post-apocalyptic ep- yeah. episodes as well as Space 1999. Actually, the whole all Space 1999 can be considered post-apocalyptic. Yeah, they had their apocalypse. Uh, I go, me, I want to know what's going on back on Earth as long as the moon's gone. Now, that's gonna yeah. fuck things up. Um, but uh, 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 in fact, I was gonna say Elizabeth McGovern and Charles Bronson are another post-apocalypse on the. Uh, on the Twilight Zone, um, but uh, uh, it was a TV series called Arc Two, which was a live-action Saturday morning cartoon show that uh, used a big giant vehicle prop uh, called the Ark, uh, the Ark Two. That was um, what the the folks tooled around in the post-apocalypse with 
uh, going from story to story, which always seem to be set in Southern California someplace. Um, but uh, Arc 2 uh, was definitely made for kids. Um, you know, the goddamn crew of the Arc 2 is all, you know, uh, no older than 20-something. No, You know, uh, uh, I remember some of the crew was like uh, teenage age. It was like an old man, two teenagers, and a monkey, right? Yes, and a monkey. Let's not forget the monkey. The best. It would have been best if the monkey had been in charge. You know, if like the monkey was some uplifted, you know, <laughs> ape, and it was actually the one driving thing. You kids don't have your license yet. You know? But um, yes, they had a monkey for some reason. Perhaps it was left over from Lancelot Link, secret chimp, or some of those other, you know, excursions into monkey protagonists that seemed to happen in the early 70s and late 60s. But Arc 2 was on um, uh, on early morning, Saturday morning cartoons, and it was uh, it stood out when they were making things like the Electro Woman and Dynago Girl Power Hour and Shazam and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, um, I, 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 ne I never got to, I never watched that show back when that was like around like uh, when, did, when did that come out? That came out in, uh, actually that came out in uh, It's pre-Star Wars. It's like 76... 76, so I was like 7. So okay. when that came out... 10. Yeah, uh, so you were a little bit older. Uh, but I was 6, or so 7, and all I do is I watch my cartoons in the morning, and then about like 11, 11.30, the, the Isis Shazam Power Hour came on. The live-action shows came on. My yeah. ass was out the door playing. Because I, yeah. I didn't want to see the live-action. I wanted to see the cartoons. So I missed Arc 2 at the time because it was live action and that's when that's when my ass was on the bike riding you know down the neighborhood for like, the rest of the day you and, know? And, yeah that means you also miss things like you know you also miss things like um, um, land of the lost oh yeah no no yeah. I saw land of the lost that okay. was uh, land of the lost had some appeal I remember yeah, yeah. At least that's, that's another one that I should probably make an extreme argument that land of the lost is technically post-apocalyptic it is I will agree with you that you are trapped in an alien's pocket universe that they have abandoned. And certainly Enoch shows that it's post-apocalyptic and that it's his civilization's apocalypse inside this trans-dimensional way station. Um, so, he but, showed, so he shows Marshall, Will, and Holly yes. on their routine expedition? Yeah, exactly. You know what? I'm going to go ahead and, um, I'm gonna go ahead and uh, do um, uh, Land of the Lost, the original Sid and Marty Croft. Uh, Land of the Lost as 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 one of my uh, top five picks, uh, so that I can uh, the I can uh, clear out uh, one of the one of the repeats that you and I had. So let's just say that four and five were things when I was a kid, and I don't even know if I I, I acknowledge that Land of the Lost was weirdly post-apocalyptic at the time, but it's what I was watching when I was super duper young. Uh, same thing with um, Arc Two. Arc Two was flat out. Post-apocalyptic, or they, although they implied that we had a slow apocalypse, that we used up our natural resources, that civilization collapsed in a kind of, you know, uh, they don't say resource war, but there's a number of episodes that involve things like a, there's an episode involving a tank that has been brought back into service by somebody who's tinkering with it. Um, Arc two definitely covered any number of post-apocalyptic themes. I think there's a guest appearance by Robbie. The robot there turns is. up um, in it. Uh, there's that ridiculous jetpack and the uh, the other vehicles they tooled around in. Oh, jetpacks jet were cool. Were cool back then, man. 
But I would also I would also say that um, one of the things that that sort of uh, stood out for me was the vehicle, the Arc Two, which was built on the chassis, I think, of a of a of a, a city dump, a garbage truck that they had taken the uh, frame um, off. It was a forty the forty four uh, was a combination RV and mobile laboratory. The the forty four foot vehicle was a fiberglass body on a seventy one Ford C series C seven seven hundred cab over. It must have been like a semi truck or something. I don't know. Well, um, I thought it was. I remember reading somewhere that it was a cab over. It could certainly have been the kind of thing that you'd put. Uh, like, like it was like a fire trucks were or fire trucks and large, uh, like transportation, like, uh, like you know, delivery trucks were on the, on that series. So it was yeah. like a big gas truck. Yeah. So they took it out to the, some salt flats and ran it around at full speed because apparently you couldn't see shit out of it while you were driving. So, <laughs> but it was, but for a kid, it was a, it was a nice substitute or a nice stand-in for the Landmaster, which was, you know, I, I don't know if I don't know which one came first. Um, uh, it's really close uh, as far as Landmaster. I mean, uh, as far as Damnation Alley and, and Arc Two. But for, you know, for a kid, you know, I remember thinking, yeah, that's what I want. I want my, you know, post-apocalyptic RV like uh, like the Landmaster or the Arc 2 so I can tool around the apocalypse. So Arc 2 had, uh, had a lot of impact on me, and that was always one of my favorites. Um, and I'll throw in Land of the Lost, so I've now covered 4 and 5. <laughs> oh, actually, uh, Damnation Alley was based on a novel by Roger Zelazny of the same name that came out in 1967. So it looks like the Landmaster has them beat. Yeah, but I'm thinking of the movie because there's a there's a the movie Landmaster. Yeah, the movie Landmaster has a, uh, and I think the Arc Two was designed to look a little like the the movie Landmaster. It'd be, be a callback to that big, you know, honking vehicle that's that's chugging around the post-apocalypse. Anyways, moving on. All right, Will, uh, give us your well, give us your five and four since uh, uh, Scott did two and then I'll do two. So, all right. Well, my number five, and it was very difficult to to rank these, but my number five uh, is the uh, New Zealand post-apocalyptic television series, The Tribe. I am I familiar I, with it. Yeah, I think I've, I've mentioned that on the show a few times, but the yeah. it's, it's a viral apocalypse where a disease wipes out the entire post-pubescent uh, population on Earth, so the only people left are, are kids. And it's not a nice apocalypse. I mean, the show does its best. It's a show, it's a show you know, aimed at, at uh, kids and young teenagers, but they do their best to actually address the fact that a lot of people are probably going to starve and that there's no medical expertise when you need it and there's no way to get birth control. So one of like the first big plot arcs is one of the characters gets pregnant. And she's young. What really got me uh, on that episode was that girl was playing 14, 15 tops. Yeah, I think she was 14, 15 age range. And, and, I'm, and I thought, you know, and, and I was like really impressed that they brought up pregnancy for kids at such a low well, you know, with this Lord of the Flies, no parental control, of course, with no societal, you know, norms uh, uh, to, to restrict them, why wouldn't they be getting pregnant as soon as they hit puberty, you know? Yeah, and I, I, li I like that the show doesn't turn away from some of the darker aspects of the premise. Um, that's, the one of the, that's one thing I remember. There's at least one, I remember at least one killing throughout the show. Um, were uh, a villainous character. In fact, the father of the unborn child, if I'm not mistaken, 
gets bumped off. Um, but uh, So they weren't afraid to kill people on the show, even though it was aimed for kids. The one thing they didn't do is they didn't... Um, they weren't big on, you know, mummified corpses laying in the street like it's Omega Man. You know, they, there wasn't any of that. And the, the flashbacks don't have the kids watching mom and dad die of, of Captain Trips. There's this thing where the parents are all evacuated because whatever it is, the kids are immune to it, and they can't take the kids with them because they could be carriers, so they're all going off to quarantine or something. I, I don't remember, because I, 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 as far as I know, the parents did, in fact, just flat out die. Um, you know, I think, you know, I think what we, we can probably assume just budgetary reasons or why we don't have adult corpses everywhere, but, but you know, for a storytelling aspect, well, maybe they, maybe, maybe they knew the end was coming, so everyone died quietly in their own homes. <laughs> um, most people are going to die in their beds during a viral apocalypse. They're not going to be out in the street necessarily, unless they're killed by social violence. They're going to be home being sick. Yeah, I'm not sure they ever give too much detail. Aside from the fact that the virus kills adults, they don't really go into too much detail simply because the detail isn't that important to the show. So we don't know if it was fast or slow. They, or, or, or yeah, what. they needed a global Lord of the Flies. And quick, and they got one. Oh yeah. Uh, and then uh, so it was, so so it was definitely geared. It was was it uh, produced and designed for the young adult, adult uh, audience? Yes, yes, that was, that was the intended audience. Yeah, the age of the characters. Well, no, I mean, like, was it was a target audience? No, no, I mean, the target audience was the age of the characters. All the characters in the show were under eighteen. Oh, okay. Um, it was pitched, I think, as like a young adult soap opera, I believe. Very soap opera. Gotcha. It kind of reminds me of there was a comic book that came out, a post-apocalyptic graphic novel called Tribes, the Do Tribes of Dog Ears. Are you familiar with that? No. It. Uh, let me look it up real fast here. Tri was put out by. Hold on. Or was it? <laughs> Tribes of Dog Years. I've been waiting for the second one to come out. That's been they've been teasing us that for years. Uh, basically, it, it was put out uh, by who put this out? Well, it came out in 2010. Uh, God, it doesn't say who put it out originally, but it is uh, it is a pretty good book. It's basically. Adults are wiped out by a virus, um, and nobody nobody lives. Uh, it's two hundred years later. Nobody lives. Nobody, but it, nobody lives past the age of twenty-one. That was the problem. Like it was some kind of nanotechnology to cure something, and something got fucked up, and nobody lived past twenty-one. Like that's it. You were dead. You just died. You know. So it has that kind of tribe. Something has a feel. Where it's all young people, and you know some other stuff like. They ran into these adults, so it's like 200 years of just people under 21. So nobody gets old and wise ever. You know, basically, you hit 21, you're the, you know, you're the elder, you're dead. Okay, move on. So there's no getting smart and wise. It's a constantly a state of you know tribal, uh, no advancement. So it, it, it kind of reminded me of that. No way to accumulate knowledge. No way to pass the knowledge down. 
Yeah. Oh yeah, no, no, but uh, but it's pretty good. It's a pretty good graphic novel. Uh, Tribe, Tribe's the dog here. So, all right, sorry, Will. You're oh, that's all right. Uh, my number four uh, top uh, pick for post-apocalyptic TV series is Gene Roddenberry's Andromeda, which I think a lot of people you know will classify that as space opera, and and it is, but it's also post-apocalyptic, and it's an apocalypse on the galactic scale. Yes, it's it's very foundation. It's it's very uh, Empire and Foundation. Oh yeah, yeah, and it's particularly strong in the first two seasons, where the, it, it's very much felt that all the the planets are isolated, that uh, the technological infrastructure, the government's gone, the technological infrastructure has collapsed. Uh, most of the people with spaceships are unscrupulous people who stole those spaceships from other people. Um, yeah. There's there's a great running thing about how common diseases that were that were thought to be extinct in the main character Dylan Hunt's time have now resurfaced and like easily curable things people have to deal with because there's simply the the, the infrastructure for the medical technology is not there. Yeah, um, there's a number of, of great post-apocalyptic things that are that are in there, and one of the things that again I uh, you know this uh, this is uh, this is a rework of Genesis two. And um, Planet Earth, which were Gene Roddenberry pilots for post-apocalyptic TV series uh, from the 70s. Uh, and the main character in both series is... Dylan Hunt. That's right. Uh, having been played by, let's see, John Saxon, um, uh, uh, Kevin Sorbo for the, the, the Andromeda... And what's the name of the guy who was uh, the boss on Airwolf? Oh God! With the glasses yeah. and the blacked out one lens. That's that's who plays Dylan Hunt in the first one, right? I believe so. All right. Well, we'll uh, we'll quickly look that up so that we don't look too stupid in front of the audience. But um, those <laughs> are our Dylan. Yeah, too late. Uh, those are our Dylan Hunts, and um, uh, Andromeda has a number of post-apocalyptic. Aspects to it. One of my favorites is the uh, the cult of of child soldiers who still think the war is on. Mm. That there's there's one episode where they 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 go to some depot um, to rearm the Andromeda with its gear, and um, it's got this cult of child soldiers who still think that the the galactic war is on. Uh, that is that destroyed civilization. Which if that's not right out of a post-apocalyptic post-apocalyptic storyline, I don't know what is. Well, another thing is that they do have, like, I think the, throughout the first uh, three seasons, they have this looming apocalypse because they're these these alien, cannibalistic alien monsters that that inject their larvae into the handful of people they leave alive to reproduce called the Magog. Uh, and if, and that's oh, yeah. Yeah. They were never able to get a foothold in in our galaxy because of the you know the the confederation that existed before the apocalypse. Now that the apocalypse is gone, the quarantine there's no one to enforce the quarantine, and a planet devouring cluster of their ships is on a direct course for Earth. Oh, it was it was worse than that. It's a whole solar system. Oh it's yeah, a, yeah. It's, it's an intergalactic invasion by a solar system that's coming into our into our galaxy. And that's the other thing. It's like Earth itself is already fucked. Earth is just a planet-wide war zone ghetto of a planet. Mm. And, you know, the only thing that makes it attractive is that it's so overpopulated. Uh, and that's why these horrible monsters are heading there. Well, you know, tell you what, Will. Uh, 
tell us about how the whole Magog thing starts to look like a great old one from Cthulhu, right? Because isn't there some sort of at the heart of the of the system is some sort of god emperor thing. Yeah, there there's this like being. There's this like I don't know if the being is made out of energy or if it's out of phase with our dimension. But yeah, a a, a very intelligent alien consciousness uh, has in fact been manipulating and controlling the Magog uh, for for eons, and them devouring the Earth and using it as a spawning ground is just part of a larger game that this extra-dimensional being is playing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Dennis Dettweiler was always really thrilled with the idea that uh, when they when they unwrapped the Magog, you know, sort of onion, that it had a it had a problem at the heart of it that felt like it was a Lovecraftian problem. That it was a it was a great old one oh, uh, that was moving into our galaxy from outside. Um, uh, certainly, the the series uh, had a lot of depth. That that uneven distribution of, of the apocalypse, we we've talked about that before, where the apocalypse doesn't affect everybody equally. Yeah, some some planets fell harder than others. I mean, some are just reduced to absolute barbarism. Some have been able to keep it together from for you know for how, however they they could based on how much technology they had uh, at the time. And I guess the other thing the other thing I really love is that it did have a lot of uh, kind of respect for the past. There's this great episode where the uh, the hacker character uh, gets this library index forcibly uploaded into his brain to preserve the knowledge because there's like this society of librarians that's been trying to preserve history and science uh, and and they actually become key to the development of the series because that's where they're going to get the information to rebuild everything that was lost but he, like he his brain can't deal with all the information so he starts speaking in multiple languages at once and then decides oh I'm gonna give myself a project and so what does he do using 30th century technology, he builds a functioning, working replica of, of Chuck Yeager's test plane, the first plane to break the sound barrier. <laughs> I remember that character now. I, I, I'm trying to remember what else I've seen that actor in, but he was pretty distinctive in that role, and it's, it's suddenly blowing right past me. Um, yeah, I, I don't know that I've seen the entire series, but I've certainly seen at least the first two seasons. Yeah, the, the first two are purely uh, purely post-apocalyptic. Uh, the third is like when they actually start to rebuild. Uh, the fourth is like when what they've rebuilt is tested. And the third season's really weird because the third season takes place after this massive time jump, and most of it is confined to this post-apocalyptic planet in the solar system, and nobody knows where it is, and nobody knows where the ship is. Uh, they must have had a budget crash of some sort. I bet that's part of it, but they did get some great uh, episodes out of it. It also had one of my, it also had one of my favorite time travel moments, where there's a there's a time traveler from the past who is absolutely critical to the history of the galaxy, uh, and Dylan Hunt beats him to death, and the whole galaxy starts collapsing around them, and right <laughs> before the paradox destroys them, he gives the guy CPR and brings him back to life. And like the galaxy reforms, <laughs> and I love that they committed to that. That was yeah, so John, that, yeah, you John, have an apocalypse and the return from the apocalypse in that one episode. Wow! All right, that's that's awesome, Mr. Wallace. What's your four and five? Four and five. Um, 
four by five. I went with. I was kind of debating on uh, between two two things. Uh, Planet of the Apes, the TV series, was definitely up there, but I went with Jeremiah, the TV uh, TV show. That came out like 2002, I believe, 2003. Jeremiah was yet another uh, plague uh, type scenario where anybody over the age of uh, puberty died, and the world was brought down to just basically. Uh, I think I think it was puberty. Uh, so basically, anybody you know, like 12 and under, survived. No adults, no supervision, and uh, basically they kind of had to rebuild. So. It's, I think it takes place like, uh, well, like 10 years later, 15 years later. I, I don't quite remember. Um, I'd have to look. It takes place, uh, it's been a while since I saw it. It's 15 years, 15 years later. And, everyone, you know, so everyone is still basically under 30. Everybody's under 30. And, uh, you know, there's a group, there's like all kinds of pockets of groups. People have rebuilt a little bit. Uh, it's just interesting to see, you know, because I think they did a decent job with the landscapes and how kind of how everything's kind of kind of beat down, overgrown. You know, uh, I think basically like one group is basically holding up at an old NORAD type place, and they're trying to form like the good guys. And there's all these other groups of people uh, around different villages, and you get some good people, you get some bad people. Through the course of the series, there are people. The, you know, the guys in the NORAD place are trying to pull everybody together because they're like, listen, we have to work together. We have to pull this group together to survive, you know. Now, there's a lot of interesting uh, things that happen there. Like there's one group of uh, bad guys was uh, they run it because basically, you know, the people who were in it were, you know, Malcolm Jam uh, Jamal Warner and, of course, Luke Perry were the uh, main guys. But... Uh, Luke Perry runs into one of his old uh, 90210 alumni. Uh, he, uh, uh, what, what the hell is his name? Um, I'll, have to, I'll have to look it up. But he, um, here's the thing. Uh, as I look it up, I want to point out, he did a really good job. He did awesome. He, <laughs> he, was, he was really good. As soon as he showed up on screen, I'm like, I kind of sighed and went, oh, fuck, it's no. this guy. He played, he played the evil Baron really good. And what, what gave him power was... They they went they found an old military base that had a stockpile of daisy cutter bombs. Oh. Now, daisy cutters are are the biggest non. If I remember, correct me if I'm wrong, so the biggest non nuclear bomb bomb that we still have in our arsenal. Correct? They or were they, they, they were, were used. Uh, they were they were they they've been uh, they've been Moab has is bigger now, but the the daisy cutter was for clearing landing fields. To knock down all the trees, so you could have a landing field for helicopters. And it was pretty. It was pretty big because this is there like like fifteen like less than fifteen years ago, and that was still the biggest bomb at the time. So he would like roll them into towns that were giving him problems and say, "Hey, listen, you better go along with us, or something's going to happen." They'd say, "Yeah, screw you." He would detonate the daisy cutter, destroy the entire town. Well, you, you know? wouldn't even have to roll it into town. He just get it up to the edge of town. <laughs> and there's this thing where you like, you know, they had these three. Tr they, they drove them up on trucks. They're they're around the edge of the town. And then they detonated all three, and the overlapping blast waves wiped out the whole town. I'm like, okay, you know. And he had, he had a pretty big stockpile of them. So you have a lot of that going on. Uh, so people trying to relearn things. So is it like me? Uh, Scott and I were discussing before the show. 
it's not a perfect series. There are some really good episodes, and there's some really bad episodes too. Uh, but but one of the biggest things which Jason really... it was Jason Priestley. Jason Priestley, thank you. And uh, he was he was super awesome for being completely simultaneously had his shit together and simultaneously completely whacked out of his fucking head. Oh yeah, he, was, he, he really did a beautiful job in that episode. Now one of the big things about this show was we had the whole continuity of government thing. Like if people haven't heard anything from any form of government for 15 years uh, without revealing too much, but apparently there is a continuity of government going on. Like there are people tucked away, okay, who've been observing and the and Scott's favorite moment in that show is they run into some people in like bio suits and they have high-tech weapons. These guys have like bio suits and high-tech weapons and ammo and this and that. And they're they kill one of them. Like who are these fucking people? And they're checking them out. And the thing that scared them, not that they had chemical you know, suits, not that they had lots of firearms, the fact that they had ex they had an extra pair of underwear in their backpack. Yeah. They're like they're like wow these guys got so much resources that they have extra clean underwear and that <laughs> and, yeah. and and that's what freaked them out because like oh my god these guys have so much stuff that they what was it they curly curdy why are you showing me a man's ass he says you're not looking are you and then for, suddenly you know uh, Perry's like is that underwear he's like uh and it's it's laundered it's clean <laughs> and they're just like oh fuck. You know, helicopters, radios, you know, biowarfare gear. Okay, fine. But if they've got the disposable income in this world of, 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 of uh, what do you call it, uh, of, of uh, scarcity, to have freshly laundered underwear, we're out of our league. Yes. Uh, on a scale. That, and, and, they, and, before the, and they did a really good job of having this this continuity of government sneak up on you in certain ways. And the storyline for a season that covers that is really excellent where you just get these little hints about them, like there are these towns that get burned down and nobody knows why. Um, and that there's these, uh, there's this thing where um, they could monitor from, uh, from Crystal Palace, from the uh, NORAD Cheyenne Mountain facility. They could monitor um, sort of, uh, what's going on with our old nuclear deterrent? And they could tell that uh, there's some of the hardwired stuff was still in place, and they could tell when silos were what going online or going offline or something, where the the continuity of government guys are coming out of their bunker system and going to the missile silos and checking them out to make sure checking them out and locking them down and reprogramming the firing. Um, uh, systems and that was super scary. That these guys are, these guys are, are are retaking over the missile system that's still here in the states. And I was like, they're 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 locking down the nukes. And I was like, okay. Well, they, well, they well, they were part of what was called the Valhalla sector, which was this mythical thing that the kid, like the the main character, like heard about this because his dad talked about Valhalla sector, and he's always looking for this Valhalla sector. You know, yeah. which which deals with Thunder Mountain and, but it's 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 you know again you know, I think it was a Canadian produced show. It's not a bad show. I said I really enjoy it. Um, it's I think it's on I think it's on Amazon Prime right now. Uh, there there are some dog episodes. There are some oh great, yeah there there's some, some great episodes first season, and even in the first season there are some dog episodes. It never got up as good as it was 
the first season plus maybe two episodes into the second season and never quite got up to be that good again. Uh, but the, the episodes that are awesome, like Michael Rooker, Michael Rooker's episode yeah, uh, was, was really good. Um, the ones that are good are stupendous. Yeah, so it's, it's, a, it's a really good show. I think really uh, worth checking out. Uh, Jeremiah. Uh, now, my top four pick is going to be an English TV series. Again, one of their mini, like, you know, they do like six, ep six eight episodes to be done. It's called uh, Dead Set. Mm. Now, Dead Set was uh, the first, I think it was probably the actually the first zombie apocalypse TV series. It was out before Walking Dead. So basically, Dead Set takes place in the Big Brother house. Now, for those who don't know, Big Brother, as we know, what well, we know is a TV series. Now, it was originally a British TV series that got brought over to America, like everything else, like, you know, Three's Company, things like that were all originally British TV shows that came over here. All right, so, all right, you, you got to, you're right, wait a minute. Three's what? Company was a British TV series? Yeah, originally, yeah. The concept was a British TV series originally. All right, moving you along. Really crazy? Sanford and Son was based on the British television series Steptoe and Son. Oh, my God. Yep. Okay. Junkman? Yeah. It was about Junkman? Yeah, it was about a, a father who ran a salvage yard uh, and his more educated son. Got it. Okay. Apparently, everything the British do, they just do better. Jesus. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no. Uh, apparently, apparently, American TV producers have no ideas. So, <laughs> so basically, Dead Set takes place in the original Big Brother house over in England. So, again, it's not an ongoing series, but it's a t mini TV series. I just think this was freaking fantastic. Uh, our friend Daniel uh, Jolin introduced us to this, gave us uh, you know bootleg copies of it, and I wound up actually getting a good copy of it. Um, it's so good. Basically, it is at the Big Brother house, and the zombie apocalypse breaks out. So it's just crazy because they're in this house. They're holed up there. The apocalypse is happening. They're... But the, the house is set up so that they don't need anything they're, from the outside world because it's a it's a reality TV show, and they're, and they're disconnected from the outside world, so they don't they're not a hundred percent of what's actually going on, as it's all falling apart, you know, uh, the what the TV producer got character on there like the one. He is the biggest a-hole scumbag you've ever met in your life, this guy. Well, TV producer, you know. TV producer, yeah. So, um, and again, people leave, try to get some food. It's very interesting, very well done, and again, very English, that things don't always wind up being happy uh, in this TV show, show. And again, I think it's, again, more interesting, like a lot of times with these British shows, is because this is not, it's not America, Okay. It's not, you know, what is what's what's the number? I don't even know what the number is. What is there like four guns for every America per capita or something like that in this country? Guns everywhere. I mean, everywhere in England, it's not like that. So it's not like everybody's gonna be able to just go. Okay, here's a row of ten houses. We could stock. We could uh, we could stock up on guns and ammunition. You know, yeah. it's not like that there. So people have to defend themselves. There's not like guns rampant as usual. But it takes place in the house. How people don't understand what's going on, how it's all breaking down. It's just, it's just very well done. Um, I think it's, I think Dead Set's a fantastic series. They did the zombie TV show before the zombie TV shows were being done, and uh, I think they did a fantastic job of it. It's, um, as far as I know, 
it is still only available as an English uh, edition, uh, which is basically, folks, um, the PAL system, yeah. uh, as, as opposed to America, which is NTSC, if people don't know that. We, it's basically, it has to deal with the aspect ratio of how the TV is broadcast. So we are NTSC, England, and a lot of Europe is PAL. So it's just different aspect ratios, so it's not going to look right on your TV. Uh, also, DVDs are uh, different regions as well. Uh, like we, I think, I don't remember what region we are, but, you know, we're one, I think they're two. Is it we one, they're two, I think? Yes. Yeah. And so, Australia gets everything a year before we do. Yeah. So did, I, I got an English copy because I have a DVD player that's uh, region free. It basically, it was a Panasonic that I bought at Walmart for $55 because um, basically hack any DVD player uh, with this doing number sequences to make it region zero, which means it could play anything. But this one had an unadvertised built-in PAL to NTSC converter into it. No. Uh, my friend Andrew turned me on to it, Andrew Migliori. He's like, he's like, here, get this one, and and it, ha and it works. So I can, without having to spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars like most people do for like fifty something bucks, I got a, 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 a region for a multi-region player. Oh, I need so that. It's all I don't know if it's available anymore, but uh, it can be found. So Dead Set would be my number four pick. Again, very well done. You might be able to find it on YouTube and here and there, like like everything is nowadays. But I really like Dead Set. I think it's a I think it's really uh, a really solid uh, show. So let's go back to Scott. Let's do number three and only do number three. Only do number three. Don't get carried away. Don't get carried um, away. So that's okay. well, you know, I, it, it, uh, uh, there was another show I was going to mention, that, but uh, we're going to leave that to you to uh, to be my uh, to to take the place of the Land of the Lost, which is over overwritten one of my options. Um, I think I'm going to have to go for number three. I'm just going to, speaking of zombies, uh, I'm going to go with The Walking Dead. Um, I have uh, enjoyed The Walking Dead quite a bit. Um, I'm still enjoying The Walking Dead, even though I'm not getting it uh, at the same rate as everybody else is because I've been, uh, I am disconnected from uh, cable. Uh, but I've been watching it maybe a, a season behind on Netflix or renting the, the when they come out, so... Uh, I haven't seen anything except the pilot, two-hour pilot from season, I guess it's five. Um, so, uh, you know, don't tell me what happened to Glenn. I don't know, and I don't I don't care. All I know is what happened in the comic book. Um, and, of course, part of it is, you know, I'm still reading the comic book. You know, I'm still invested in The Walking Dead, uh, whether it's this one. I have not picked up the new Walking Dead, Fear the, Fear the Walking Dead. I haven't picked that up. Still enjoying The Walking Dead. Still think they're doing some pretty good things uh, with their apocalypse. Um, it's not perfect, uh, but um, uh, as far as uh, post-apocalyptic TV shows, I'm still going to have to rate it higher than things like, you know, the Logan's Run TV show or the uh, Last Man on Earth TV show. Or, or well, I think a lot of people like have a lot of it's either a love or hate thing with The Walking Dead because a lot of people love it. Uh, Really love this. Series. Some people hate it because people are like, oh, it's like a soap opera with zombies and na 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 na. It's like, well, yes, it's like you're a moron because a good, <laughs> well, a good zombie apocalypse story, movie, TV show, whatever, is not about the zombies. It's about the characters. The zombies are just the backdrop. They are the problem. As we've we've talked about this before, yeah. that. The care it's 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 really if it's really character driven like even with Dead Set it's about the characters it's not really about the, the zombies are the problem 
But the real problem is the people. Yeah. So, and Walking Dead does that. The problem is the people. That it's like it's like yeah, the zombies are easy to handle. I mean, relatively, you they're predictable. You know what they could do. People are unpredictable. So a lot of people don't like us. I guess people think that The Walking Dead, every episode should be Rick and gang riding in on horses and motorcycles, killing zombies for an hour every Sunday. You know? Well, they certainly gave us enough zombies, and the question was send more zombies. Could they have possibly sent more zombies <laughs> on, the, on the opening, the pilot episode of season five with that? I mean, that's the horror everyone's been hoping for. Yeah, uh, and they they did it, and and they bring they bring the zombie horde, at le- they bring the horde at least at least once a season. You've got you know wall to wall fucking zombies. Oh, um, you, budgets, you haven't you, you haven't seen any hordes yet, sir. Yeah, budgets being what they are, you know, I'm not going to give them a hard time for filling some of their airtime with drama rather than uh, stabbing zombies in the head. And God, I don't know. I really think they give me plenty of, plenty of zombie head stabbing. You know, they. Re- I really think they do. I. I don't feel that I have been, uh, shorted on this. So I'm gonna go ahead and give that one. You know, my my number three spot. The uh, the one thing that is missing, as far as I'm concerned, from The Walking Dead, it, to me, is I do not think that they concentrate enough on. The small factors of survival. Um, they, 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 they. You know, production of food, production of clean water, uh, production of uh, uh, healthcare. They're, they're, they're very much Walking Dead for the seasons that I've watched. And have always been very concentrated on scrounging, foraging, looking for supplies rather than creating their own, which is going to be very different than probably what's going to be our number one pick. We'll leave that for later. So that's number three, Mr. Thrasher. All right. Well, my uh, my number three pick uh, is an animated series, uh, and it is uh, the uh, Japanese animated series Kishan. Tell us about it. I know not the one thing. Yeah, uh, well, the the, sh- the short version, the main character is this guy named Kishan, who you find out is a human consciousness inside of a robotic body. But the show is all about uh, a robot apocalypse. Uh, some event has happened, and an army of robots has taken over the world, led by this robot called the Black King, who kind of styles himself as this monarch. And most humans are wiped out, and the surviving humans are kept in in work camps where they're just they're just you know worked to death. Uh, and uh, but one of the cool things is you think it's a robot apocalypse, but as the story evolves. Uh, you find out that the robot apocalypse was a response to an to an environmental apocalypse. Uh, that the original robots, uh, and particularly uh, the Black King, were originally designed to be robots to help deal with an emerging ecological disaster that that was starting to befall the Earth. They were basically a part of a very advanced terraforming system. But uh, the Black King, then known as BK-1, who was the central control robot for for the the workers, for the terraforming system, uh, he was smart enough to realize that the biggest... They were trying to fix the world's environment, but that the biggest threat to the world's environment were human beings. (laughs) So he militarized the robots, uh, figured out 
the proper number, what the proper human population was, and culled the human herd down to that level. But because he's programmed to prevent extinctions, he can't wipe people out, so he figures the best thing to do is to put them into preserves where they're kept occupied uh, doing things like mining resources and planting crops that they don't get to eat. <laughs> Thank God we're being managed, uh, properly managed now. When did, when, did that, uh, when did that come out, Will? Well, the the original it's it's been a, it's actually happened several times. The original version came out uh, in the uh, mid 1970s. Uh, then a new version, which is the one I'm most familiar with, came out uh, in the uh, early 90s. Uh, and then in 2004, a live action film uh, was released based on this. Well, it sounds like that maybe uh, it sounds a little bit like kind of Terminator esque. You know, like well, the humans are the problems. So we got to get rid of the humans. Kind of a little bit, so that so since it came out in the seventies, sounds like I could see a little influence on the, you know, the Terminator for that, or even the Matrix, you know. Well, it wouldn't be the first time something predating Terminator inspired Terminator, if you know what yeah. I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mr. Edison. Well, the uh, one of the others that I would throw out that it's close to is it's a close to to uh, uh, Colossus, the Forbin project, mm. where you know. Okay, that's a movie, though. Yeah, yeah, but it, I'm just saying that it's close to that theme of uh, of uh, the robots take a look at us and go, "Yeah, we're totally going to fix this. We can fix this human problem." You know, you've asked us to fix it, and we're going to apply logic, and there, it's fixed. <laughs> but it's really good if you if you can find uh, if you can find. Uh, I have not seen the live action film, unfortunately, uh, but if you can find uh, any episodes of the anime, check them out. Particularly the one from the '90s. The one from the '90s is just so wonderfully dark, and there's even this great thing where where the Black King gives this whole speech about how much he loves humanity because he's programmed to love humanity, and that keeping them in camps, it's the best thing that we could ever hope for, and it's just it's it's just this wonderful megalomaniacal delusion uh, that the, the BK-1 has. So, yeah. so, so since you call him a BK-1, does he... Does he have like just like a face that's like the the king mask from like Burger King or something? You know. Yeah, I, I keep. I'm sorry. I, is he gonna unleash a hot meal on us? Because he might. He might unleash a hot meal on you. So. No, he actually kind of looks like a Terminator, but with like a cape and crown that he wears his affectations. Oh, <laughs> just put the the that that pallid mask that is the Burger King on there. It'd be perfect. You know. That smile. See, I love you. That Ritzy, okay. that horrible grimace. You know. See, Scott pulled up that reference. He's talking about Alicia Hot Meal. Was I don't know if you remember this, Will, but probably. Oh God, was it ten, almost ten years ago, eight years ago? Uh, Burger King around Christmas released these three different like like mini video games for the Xbox 360. Oh, terrible. They're all terrible, except for Sneak King. Sneak King was the, probably the most awesomest game ever. I spent like you know two dollars on. Okay, <laughs> it um basically like it says on the back that he's trying to sneak around and unleash a hot meal on people. And I'm like, all the dialogue on the box, the instructions, and stuff that happens in the game is all wrong. It is yeah. wrong, <laughs> wrong. Wrong, because yes, I'm like that, and my mind goes there, and everything's innuendo. It's just too easy. Yeah. But, 
it won, you wonder how the you wonder how the the box text got past a room full of adults who were you know oh, oh they're not all childish like oh, me. They you, know, you know you know designing it where it's like because there were these it used words as like you know uh you know the the the, the king a, is, a major hot meal oh, yeah, he, but he's like he's like compelled you know. He's, you know, he's right behind you, and he's going to unleash a hot meal on you. And it's just like, ah, uh, wow. It's, a, it's fucked. It's all well, fucked up. Yeah. The worst part is that, technically speaking, that's still the best stealth game ever made. Yes. <laughs> Purely in terms of being a stealth game. Oh, my uh, God. I, I'm, I'm hoping that they make that backwards compatible on the Xbox One because I still have my copy sitting on the shelf because I want to play that again. So, uh... <laughs> I don't think they're going to make it backwards compatible. They, they say special sauce, don't they? Special sauce comes up at some point, doesn't well, it? Well, well, the best part of the game is, and I, you could probably find it on YouTube, is the intro. Uh, you know, there's always like a, like an intro part to a video game where they, you know, set things up and then it begins the the menu. It's this. Okay, just to get off topic for a second. But basically, oh, yeah, now we're getting off topic. Now, yeah. now we are. Yeah, now, j- just now. Well, see, I'm blaming it on me. It's basically. It's a live action shot. There, it kind of looks like up north. It reminds me of up north. When I lived up north. It's basically a driveway, hedges on the left. You see the side of a house on the right. There's a garage in the back, and it could kind of like so. Basically, you would go and go to the back of the house. So it looks like an up north uh, house uh, set up there. And basically, the king is like coming across screen, like he'll come across the screen or come out of the bushes. The lights will go off. He comes somewhere else. You come around the corner, like trying to be all stealthy. And there's this one bit where he just went across the screen. The lights go out. You know, the lights come on. And like, well, there's like nothing there. And then the lights go, like, come on again. And there he is, like down at the end of the driveway. <laughs> it went from an empty scene, the lights dimmed and it came on. He's at the end of the driveway in front of the thing. He's kind of like hunched over a little bit. And he looks like fucking Michael Myers from Halloween. Just kind of just stand. Like those scenes where just like out of nowhere he appears. He's just kind of standing there. Like out of nowhere. And then the lights go and he's gone. It's like he's fucking. The Burger King is fucking Michael Myers, man. Okay? I'm telling you. If you can find this, you'll you'll totally believe me. But anyway. So think. uh, Anything else about about your pick, Will? For your number three. No, I'm just I'm happy to bring some Japanese animation to this list, and and I love robots gone wrong in a big way, and this this is one of my favorites. Gone wrong? <laughs> They're totally helping. No, that's it. Sounds good. I'm I'm gonna try to track see if I can track that one down. It's one of those things where the technology is doing exactly what it was designed to do, and we didn't realize that we shouldn't have designed it to do that. Yeah. <laughs> you know. My top three pick is something we've talked about before. We did a whole uh, we did a whole uh, episode on the premise of the Day of the Triffids, the Day of the Triffids 1981 TV miniseries, six episodes. Um, we talked about this at length during the Triffids episode, where we talked about the movie, the book, 81, and the two was it 2008 or nine? They did. They came out with another one that was total. Uh, wait, no, uh, no, 2000. Oh, wait, 2007? 2005? Oh, wait, I don't know when was... Are you, are you blowing it? I don't know. No, 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 that was... Did, didn't they do... Yeah, they did. What, there what was, they, yes, there was a Survivors, and... Uh, no, they did another Day of the Triffids. Uh, oh. 
Yes, they did. In fact, it had Jason Priestley in it. Yeah, it was it was terrible. But we're talking about the 1981 version. Day of the Triffids, 1981. Basically, the novel. They're telling the story of the novel, uh, and then they follow it pretty closely. Six episodes. Great again. Great British television. Uh, this actually isn't. Uh, this is. It was 2000. A, yeah, we're talking about 81. Yeah, the 80, 81. This came out. Uh, it is available in America. You can get this uh, day of the Tri uh, well, unless it's you know probably markup. But day of the Triffids, again, it tells the story of the Triffids. How you know people are blinded by an event, and there's this plant uh, called the Triffid where they get Triffid oil to produce other fossil fuels, and basically they can kind of crawl around and they kill and eat people because people are blind. Um, it's just the TV the TV series again. It's six episodes, so you got about six hours of entertainment there. It, it uh, it's it's uh, or no, they're half hour episodes. I think it was 157 minutes. So it's it's very entertaining, very good. I'm not gonna go too much into it because we have a whole episode on this. But my top three pick is Day of the Triffids again, another English TV series because uh, they always do the apocalypse right. Uh, it, it's it's very good. Uh, again, it's not like you have to commit to a whole you know like oh my god, there's 10 seasons. Again, it's another little mini one. But it, it's it's very good. I think they do the apocalypse well because again, the Triffids are a problem. But then again, more so the problem is people. You know, now that you know people are blind, people are dying, people are trying to take everybody's trying to take over hooligans and people who are you know visions of power. You know, trying to take control of stuff. It, it's it's a very it's a very good series. If we go into it a little more in depth on our episode on the Triffids, I don't remember which one that was, but uh, it's on the list of uh, episodes. So that's my Day of the Triffids is my number three. So Scott, let's go to your number two. All right, my number two. Um, let's see here. Uh, I'm going to go with um, an American TV series that made it a season and a half called Jericho. Mm. Uh, Jericho was set in a um, on an America that has received a nuclear apocalypse, a nuclear terror attack. Um, basically, uh, a bunch of low kiloton, like 20, basically Hiroshima-sized bombs uh, have gone off in a bunch of major American cities. Um, and uh, uh, it's sort of the uh, isolated view from the town of Jericho, Colorado, which is supposed to be out on the flatter sections of Colorado, between Colorado and Kansas, um, with the with Denver uh, farther to the west of them, up actually in the mountains. And um, it did a pretty good job covering some of the issues of your apocalypse. Each episode would cover a different thing, you know, whether it was uh, medicine, whether it was uh, the fallout that was going to come from the uh, Denver uh, uh, detonation. Um, uh what do the authorities look like when they show up? There was one particular episode where uh, these guys turn up uh, who are like, yeah, we're totally from the authorities, and they're, they're just these guys with guns. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, it, you know, they're like, well, you know, you don't look like the Army. Oh, no, we're private military contractors, you know, contracted to the Department of Defense. So uh, we're here, and we're taking all your stuff for redistribution. You know, and it's like, how do you tell? You know whether these guys are the authorities or whether they're just bandits uh, or marauders. You know, and um, uh, they did a pretty good job with that. They even had some, uh, they even had sort of a marauder episode where the marauders turned up 
dressed as U.S. Marines uh, uh, to to basically pull a uh, they weren't exactly marauders they were con men they turned up in this vehicle this this you know Abrams tank and they're dressed as Marines and there's this thing where it's like oh yeah we got to pull out where we can't stay in this town we're being redirected somewhere else. And, uh, you know, I'm sure that the recovery and reconstruction crews will be right behind us, but, you know, there's other towns that have higher, higher priorities because they're in worse shape. And then the locals start trying to bribe them to put in a good word, you know, to have the reconstruction crews show up at our town first, you know. And, it's, and they're like, oh, I don't know if I can take that. Oh, okay. And they, they, they'd clean the town out by accepting these bribes to redirect re recovery and reconstruction materials that are never going to survive, that are never going to arrive, which I thought was a, you know, rather than just guys with guns kicking the door in and taking your shit, I just thought it was an awesome way to shake down one town after another. Um, they also got to the point where, you know, they had towns versus towns where, uh, you know, the guys in one town over that they're trying to work a deal with, you know, to exchange some stuff, um, they find out that the other town is planning to invade, take over their town, and redivide all the, you know, the, the, the arable farmland that didn't get, you know, radioactive fallout on it. Um, and so it becomes, you know, uh, uh, it's just, you know, it gets, it gets very tribal. Um, they did a number of really good things in Jericho over the years, over the two years, and it's one of these series that that got saved from cancellation for a few extra episodes. It didn't make it another full season. I think it only made it another six or seven episodes before it was finally put to bed. Well, yeah, there there was a there was a huge fan campaign to have them bring it back, weren't they? Like, what were they sending? What were they sending the? Um... It was nuts. It was because somebody somebody told the uh, the uh, story of Bastone. Uh, during the show, and I don't know if it was that uh, one of the characters was alive. Yes, it was. Granddad uh, was either in Patton's Third Army or he was at Bastogne, and so he tells the Bastogne response to you know surrender, and the hundred I guess it's the hundred and first says nuts. That's their nuts to you is the response to the Wehrmacht. So that's what the uh, that's what they say when the other town comes to take all their shit away from them. The the answer is nuts. And then they go on to, um, you know, uh, uh, send mail bags of nuts to peanuts to um, to NBC or ABC or whoever it was who was the network at the time and get them to to put it back on. One of the things I really liked about the other town coming to to invade them and take their shit was um, that group of of private military contractors who they drove away from their town who came to redistribute their supplies to other more needy areas actually went to the other town. And just shot the shit out of the place, you know. They just went in guns blazing because Jericho had showed resistance, and so they had shot the other town to pieces and taken all their supplies. And people had died because they hadn't had the supplies, and people had been killed during the attack. So they blamed Jericho for riling up the the, the contractors. Oh, you know, we wouldn't have gotten fucked up except you guys shot at them, you know, and killed some of the contractors, you know, and drove them off. And there, and sure enough, later those contractors show up again once things start to something like a, a federal government starts to show up, and sure enough, they are the authorities. You know, so the guys that drove up at gunpoint show up, you know, with clipboards and spreadsheets to fuck with them, uh, and so that was sort of interesting as well. The series left off where there's going to be a civil war between two factions. One is a 
United States government based in Cheyenne that's based around a senator who just declared himself president and uh, the actual uh, line of, um, of succession which has gone down to like the secretary of education or the secretary of health and human services is now president because uh, there was a nuke attack in Washington or something so uh, you're yeah you're you're those are your two choices uh, to choose from your two governments one in the east and one in the west um, there's definitely some some Halliburton smell about it and there's definitely a weird thing going on in the nuke attack where the nukes were handed out to a group where it was not one terrorist group it was like 10 terrorist groups or 15 or 20 who thought they were the only ones with a bomb you know whatever you know uh, evil organization was behind all this had distributed the weapons in a way that none of the groups who were actually going to deliver the weapons knew that they were, thought they were the only ones with them so there's like this one group who's kind of a Minuteman militia type thing and they've got five bombs and so they're gonna hit all the you know libtard capitals like you know uh, San Francisco and Los Angeles and New York you know and Chicago and they think that's all there is to it meanwhile you know there's some Islamic fundamentalists who are gonna blow up Houston and um, uh, you know uh, Salt Lake City and other places and they just got these various factions in America to bomb each other you know by by making them think and therefore wreck the entire country um, there's a number of things that were never quite fully explained in the series uh, that led to some really good speculation but it had a decent budget uh, it looked pretty good um, it, uh, uh, it 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 had some genuinely creepy, chilling moments, um, and uh, there are other things, little things built into it, like the Morse code. Every episode, every episode, you'd hear a Morse code bleeping at the beginning of the episode, and it all, it all meant something. It was all pertinent to the story if you bothered to look up your Morse code and 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 translate it. So I really enjoyed Jericho. Um, it it wasn't it definitely uh, dipped into some of the ideas about uh, how are you going to get through this uh, it was less about an apocalypse as it was about America being a failed state like what would it take to make America look like Iraq you know that's kind of what it went not not a full uh, but there was a government you know you sorta of kinda of heard from them there's a Point where they go out and go to this big trading center, and there's a big giant board that news is pinned to. And the first time they get to this big trading center, there's a giant billboard, and it's like, oh yeah, there's five U.S. capitals right now. There's five guys claiming there that they're the they're the they're the president of the United States, you know. And then there were these you know marks all over the board for like where the bombs went off, and they're like, for all they knew about was Washington and uh, Denver, you know, and I think Lawrence, Kansas, which I think they blew up just because the day after was filmed in Lawrence, Kansas, so they blew up Lawrence, Kansas. Um, but, you know, um, uh, suddenly they see how big the problem is. But it's not, you know, and they did a really good job in the series making sure that the apocalypse is ongoing, it's a national problem, but there's, there's certain people who just, they just don't, you know, from their perspective, they don't know 
how big the problem is. I can't tell. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to go ahead and put Jericho as my number two. Cool. Thank you, Scott. And I think that I think that's still pretty readily available out there. Yeah. So the full uh, series, the full series is very easily available. Cool. Uh, Will, what's your number two? My number two, uh, and this is because uh, they they can't all be serious, and because I do love cheese and I do love camp. Uh, my number two pick of my favorite uh, post-apocalyptic television series is Cleopatra twenty five twenty five. I've never even heard of that. I, I sadly have. Will, um, did anyone survive being on this show? Agina Torres. That's who I thought. That, Mrs. Mrs. Larry Fishburne was on that. Yes, and then went on to be uh, Zoe on Firefly, and then she she ended up. What's she doing now? She's like on one of the CSIs. Well, she was on some show about lawyers. Suits or something. It was some Fox show about law firm. Uh, I know she was doing that for a while. But um, we, I, my understanding is you got to see a lot more of Gina Torres's legs in Cleopatra twenty five twenty five than you did in uh, on 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 Firefly. Le le legs and midriffs. The technology yeah. for midriffs for both men and women was lost in this future. <laughs> I was unaware of the male midriff problem. Yeah, no, no, they're like they're the, the the sexy clothing is equally distributed throughout this show. So there's if if you like the ladies, there's plenty to look at, and if you like the fellas, there's plenty to look at, and if you like both, well, you're in heaven. Yeah. So well, that, well, that, well that's fair. Yeah. What's what exactly is the problem? All right. Why so is it, why did why did we lose midriff technology? What went wrong? Well, what well what happened is that the main the main character is uh, an exotic dancer who dances under the name of Cleopatra, and in the wait late... a minute, this is a stripper apocalypse. Sadly, no, just the main character is. But she uh, she in the late twentieth twentieth century, she goes to the hospital to have uh, to have some surgery done, and you can imagine what that surgery would be. But there's a complication, so to save her life. They cryogenically freeze her. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Are you telling me she goes to get boob augmentation? Yes. Or maybe midriff, midriff augmentation. Oh, my God. That is, that is canon. That is all. They go over that in the first episode. Uh, but she gets cryogenically frozen because there's a complication. She gets thawed out in the post-apocalyptic future of the year 2525 uh, by people who want to harvest her organs but then she gets rescued by these revolutionaries because she is the only pre-apocalyptic person that they can find, and they expect her to be the blueprint they're going to use to rebuild civilization. That that sounds like a great idea. <laughs> I, I'm I'm smelling elements of Woody Allen's Sleeper. There are plenty and, of them. There and, are. And a little bit, and a little bit of Genesis Two thrown in there for good measure. But is is Torres the stripper? Who's the lead on this? Is it no, no. Um, uh, Cleopatra. Let me see. Uh, Cleopatra is played by uh, Jennifer Sky. Gina Torres uh, plays uh, Hell, and Victoria Pratt uh, plays Sarge. Uh, and they're the three uh, the three leads on this series. They are the Charlie's Angels of this post-apocalyptic. Stripper apocalypse, sort of. Uh, well, because you know, all all you know, begin starting is that the surface of the Earth is uninhabitable because anyone who goes up there either gets killed or gets replaced with a co brainwashed copy. 
and so everybody lives in this network of bunkers uh, underground. And so, so they just filmed at some steam tunnels. It's all filmed. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, steam tunnels with strippers. And I see that I see I see that it came out in 2000, and it was from the USA uh, Television Network studio. Why it just it just doesn't surprise me. Wow. It, it was packaged in syndication with Jack of All Trades, the uh, Bruce Campbell. Uh, yes, yeah, that's why I remember because Jack of All Trades was was that like it was a half hour show. Yeah, they were both half hours. But and so they were packaged in the same hour, so you got Bruce Campbell. Uh, for half an hour, and then you turned off the television. <laughs> a lot of people did, yeah, but I, st- I stuck around. Uh, and uh, but uh, hell, the th- the thing is, there there's this there's this woman or being who's trying to rebuild civilization and take back the surface, known only as the Voice, and she's called the Voice because a handful of people, hell is one of them, have an implant in their skull that lets them receive messages from the Voice, which I believe there was an edition of Gamma World that had that. As uh, one of their societies, mm. uh, it sounds a little bit like, well. Uh, wow, I, I'm I'm flabbergasted by this. Um, I see why you included it. It is unique, and it's very and it's fun, and it's also it's one of those shows where like it, it's it's kind of written like the Batman series from the 1960s, where everything is overwritten and played with absolute sincerity, no matter how crazy it is. Uh, there is a fil- there's a Blade Runner inspired film noir episode that has a line that I I, I quote to this day, where they're doing like the backwards uh, back and forth banter in, in the speakeasy, and like well, what's your what's your name? And she gets the name really. That's a name I could wrap my legs around. <laughs> but it's just so silly, but played completely straight. Oh. And the fantasy artist uh, Brom, who's responsible for uh, the Dark Ages miniature post-apocalyptic miniature game, he did a lot of the character and costume designs for this series. Apparently, wow. he doesn't, believe, wow. apparently he doesn't believe in midriffs. Holy yeah. shit! Oh. There's there's a villain there's a villain in the show called uh, Krieger. He has a secret identity. You find out later. He he is Brom's Harlequin from uh, Shadowrun. Okay. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure he doesn't put this on his resume anymore. <laughs> not probably not anymore. No, it's, it's quite out of date now. Wow. Yeah, it's not recent. Wow, that's, uh, that's. I don't know if you ever get to take anything off your resume. Fucking Bruce Campbell told stories about when he's in um, Coen Brothers' movie, uh, uh, The Hudsucker Proxy. He's like, "Oh, I'm in a movie, and it's got like you know Jennifer Jason Leigh in it, and it's got." Um, uh, uh, Paul Newman and and I that's this is it I've finally made it I can take Maniac Cop off my resume you know no <laughs> no you can't Bruce <laughs> get back to the B movies um, Maniac Cop's fun anyways I'm I'm completely blown away by that that's yeah that's wow. I think that's I think that's gonna have to be checked out yeah at some yeah. point I. Uh, I suspect that Scarecrow can set me up with a copy of the one season. One season? Two. Uh, two. two seasons. Really? 20, yeah. 20, 28 episodes. I just looked it up. Well, all right. I'm going to feel better on the grounds that at 28 episodes that, that are half hour apiece, that still makes it only as long as Firefly, so it, I'm not completely insulted. Well, there you go. <laughs> oh, my God. All right. 
Right, cool. Uh, th thank you for that, Will. That was very, very, very interesting. I like to expose people to new things. Exactly. That's why. That's why. That's that's why you. That's like, why you like what chlamydia? I mean, like, that, that's why. That's why you're with us a lot, Will, because you definitely bring uh, interesting stuff to the table. Uh, my oop, my top my number two is uh, predictable. Uh, Thundar, the Barbarian. We knew it had to go there because this has definitely the nostalgia feel for me. Uh, again, young when it came out, was this part starting into role playing games, started playing Gam World, and it felt very Gam World, very influential in there. Uh, if you've never heard of Thundar, the Barbarian, then I don't know what to tell you. Uh, go watch the Thundar episode. Oh, yeah. talk about Thundar. Yes, exactly. I said, I'm not going to go too much into Thundar uh, because we have a whole episode on Thunder the Barbarian. Um, again, again, it's, it's it's a good pick for me. I said, when did, when did that come out? Uh, first, it originally aired in, on ABC in 1980, second season, uh, end of 80. Uh, then two years later uh, was the second season, I think. Or no, it ran until 82. So 81 to 82 it ran. So uh, 21 episodes over two seasons. Uh, again, classic, post-apocalyptic. You know, you know this. You know, a runaway planet runs between the Earth and the Moon, uh, and of course causes great destruction. Magic comes back in the world, but again, it's very, very Wahoo. Uh, definitely feels very Wahoo Gamma World. Again, at the time I was playing the game, so it, it, it just it like it just fed. Fed Gamma World to me uh, right there that TV show. So my number two is going to be Thunder of the Barbarian, and it is it's, you know you can find it on YouTube, but it is available as a uh, DVD on demand. Like they actually like print them on demand. It's available like on Amazon and the in the uh, I think the Warner Brothers uh, network. It, I got it relatively inexpensive. So there and you also, go. Character designs by Jack Kirby. Yes, yes, you're right. Uh, that's right. Again, folks, if you want to hear more about Thunder the Barbarian, go find the Thunder the Barbarian episode. It's one of our, it's, it's actually one of our one of our highest viewed uh, episodes. And I would I would like to point out that uh, maybe they reuse some of Jack maybe they reuse some of Jack Kirby's illustrations for Argo that never came to pass. Maybe that's where uh, they use some of his stuff. I recently ran across it again today that the uh, Jack Kirby can actually say he drew a paycheck from the CIA because of of that operation. That's badass. Yeah. yeah. Well, so, if you're going to if you're going to if you're going to fake out the Iranians, you know, use the best. That's all I'm saying. So that is my number 2. So we're going to we're approaching everybody's number 1. We're going to uh, get that wrapped up uh, uh with yeah, three three more each, three more total. So one of each. So Scott, what is your number 1? I'll be really quick because uh, I could not manage to come up with a number 1 that wasn't your number 1. Um, I think that the best uh, post-apocalyptic TV series ever created was Survivors, the uh, one made in the uh, late 70s uh, by the BBC. That's the best one, and uh, I'll, I'll leave it to you to rant more and more about it. We've had whole shows about Survivors, you know, about how what a great show it was, not only dealing with the day-to-day -day problems of survival. Well, uh, we get that. What, what is your number one, then? Me? My number one? Yeah, I, I'm saying it's. Uh, I, oh, 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 so oh, we are double dipping. Okay, I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, I, I got a double dip. And, oh no, uh, that's that, that, that's fine. That's fine. I, I, didn't, I, I, I didn't could really not. Realize. I could not come up with one that was better than that, um, or one that I uh, uh, I 
would love to have been able to come up with something else and say, you know, well, it's the Logan Run series or the Planet of the Apes uh, TV series or, you know, I could, nothing. None of those are good enough. Survivors is the one that, uh, yeah, that third season's a little weak, but those first two seasons are freaking brilliant. Uh, I love any post-apocalyptic series where not cleaning your gutters can kill your community. That was one of my favorite moments where they just didn't clean the gutters in the manor house and it flooded the basement and ruined all their stocked in supplies. And it's like, oh, it's past harvest, isn't it? You know, and I'm like, yes, it is. Uh, that was one of my favorite moments in it uh, for just nitpicky little things that will get you killed. Oh, in yes. This, in this new medieval world. It is. It's, again, yeah, Survivors, they also redid, they, they did it, they redid it in uh, 2008, I think, or 2009. Uh, but, yeah, the original Survivor series, Terry Nation, of course, the, the, again, it's another British TV series. You'll see that we, me and Scott tend to go to a lot of the British TV uh, series a lot because they just do good TV. Um, done by Terry Nation who's done a lot of science fiction writing, uh, especially for the BBC back in the 70s and 80s, Doctor Who, uh, Blake Seven. So Captain Scarlet. Captain Scarlet. Mm -hmm. So Terry Nation's done a lot of good stuff, a lot, a lot of good stuff. And you know, like Scott said, actually, I think, don't we have a whole episode? Did we do a whole? Yes. We did, we did a whole episode on Survivors, yeah. yeah. So... Yeah, survivors. Yeah, that's. Uh, yeah, I'll add on to what Scott said. You know, this. Uh, we're, that's my number one as well. It's a. I think it's just one of the best series out there. A lot of the stuff they touch on, because again, they do like Scott said, they do a lot of the day to day, the survival things. Oh, like the one guy, the tractor fell on him, broke his legs. You know, he got left for dead because of some some uh, some woman's like, oh, he can't he can't fend for me anymore. So, and what happens to him? Or one of the other classic moments is one of the things I think about is they have the one town later on, like I think it's, was it was in Series 3, where anybody coming into the town is put into quarantine. And they put people into quarantine in a house, in a tree house, outside the village. You've got to stay there. Because it wasn't that necessarily the plague had come back. Because anybody who survived the plague in Survivors, because it was a global pandemic, if you survived it, you survived it. You had it, you got rid of it, you're immune to it. But because of the world of all the corpses, no sanitation, <clears throat> nothing anymore. How about the, of, how about the lot, rabies lot, episode? Oh, yeah. Remember the rabies episode? Yeah, a lot of the old diseases are coming back, so they quarantine people because you could have, you know, who knows what you could have. You have rabies. Datas do a really good job at addressing all those survival Problems. I think they touch on it a lot, and I think they do a fantastic job of it. Again, you have a lot of the little things of all the little pocket dictators. Oh, where are the government? You know, you're not the government. Who gave you the authority? We're in charge now. All the infighting, and uh, it's it's just a really, 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 really good series. It's in, it's it made both of our lists, and again, we do a whole episode. We talk about survivors, the original, uh, the. It was a novelization. Also, Big Finish Productions does radio dramas that take place in the same universe, which are all really good. So, so yeah. So Scott, uh, I didn't mean to hijack you there. But, no, no, uh, no. I, I think the two of us should just go ahead and say that our number one is is Survivors, and then uh, let Will get the last word in for okay. his number one because we're just going to agree with each other about how awesome Survivors is. So, hey, Scott, don't you think Survivors is awesome? It is awesome. 
And, and if I was to say that Survivor's awesome, wouldn't you, don't you think it's awesome, Scott? Right you are, Ken. <laughs> I, think the so, right I think that's the right answer. Right you are, Ken. So Scott and I's number one pick is both Survivor. So let's hear Will's different opinion on his number one. Yeah. All right, so my, my number one post-apocalyptic television series, and this is another uh, another obscure one, another cult classic, uh, mine is Cadillacs and Dinosaurs, the animated series based on the comic book Xenozoic Tales by Mark Schultz. And yeah, I, I do. Know, Who doesn't different. love Mark Schultz's illos? I mean, uh, Mark Schultz is just such a stunningly good, pulpy, you know, illustrator. And also a good guy. I'm happy to say that he was one of my life drawing professors in college. So he he actually he's worth a, worthy of a lot of praise. Okay, so uh, not a dick then as well. No, no, not a dick. Well, that's even better. I'm happy. Did, to say. Didn't they also make an RPG out of that as well? There uh, there was a video game. Oh, a video. Oh no, no no no. There's an RPG. I can go pull it off of the shelf. All right, let's go pull it off of the shelf. Whilst you talk, I'm gonna go retrieve all right, all right. Okay. dinosaurs. <laughs> But yeah, but for for, the, for those who don't know, it's an apocalyptic future, and Mark Schultz likes classic, likes drawing classic cars, and likes drawing dinosaurs. So why not combine them? So uh, it's you know most of the episodes center around uh, around a man named Jack Tenrick, who's this adventurer slash kind of rogue archaeologist, who in addition to helping people through around the this post-apocalyptic world, also digs up the remains of vintage cars rebuilds them into uh, assault and exploration all-terrain vehicles and leads this merry band of mercenaries uh, through these dinosaur-infested wilderness. It's really amazing. And and everyone's behavior is kind of guided by this religious philosophy that compares everything to a piece of machinery that you are supposed to maintain. Wow. You got the Machinaccia Vitae, I believe, is, is, is the name of their philosophy. And um, this here... Here's my copy of Cadillacs and Dinosaurs, which was made for GDW. Game Designers Workshop put this out. Um, the year on it is, let's see, that's a darn good question, but lots of lots of Schultz's illustrations. Uh, looks like the year on it is, is, is 1990. Uh, they used the same system that they had uh, created for uh, Twilight 2000, and primarily, I think people bought this simply because uh, they suddenly they they had statted out you know dinosaurs in Twilight 2000 terms. So uh, if you wanted to you know uh, gun down a, um, a a pterodactyl or a T-Rex, uh, you now had the stats for it in uh, in the book. Or for for Twilight 2000, um, I think that's why most people picked it up. They were just hungry for something, uh, something else uh, using that Twilight 2000 stuff. And yes, there in fact are the stats for the, the Cadillac, so that you can Cadillac your way around the post-apocalypse. I guess you know what that something reminds me of is the um, the Highwaymen. Oh yeah, that's an honorable mention. Yeah, the Highwaymen from... Uh, well, actually, I was going to say the Highwaymen from uh, Fallout 2. There's that oh. whole thing in Fallout 2 where you you could resurrect an old car uh, and drive it around the post. It was sort of the way you fast-traveled. You got the fast-travel by getting a car 
and then you could uh, put you know uh, energy cells in it and drive it around the post-apocalyptic landscape. And eventually, there's a there's an Easter egg in uh, New Vegas where you can find the ruins of what may be the uh, chosen one's highwayman car out in the deserts outside of Vegas. Um, but anyways, yeah. So there it goes. It was there too. Do they uh, do they explain how they um, how we uh, uh, destroyed the world? Well, like in the comic, they never really nailed down what what the apocalypse was. Uh, only only did they heavily imply that it was some sort of ecological collapse. Um, but as far as where the dinosaurs came from, I don't believe they ever went into any detail on that. The show only lasted one season. I suspect that the network thought that it was getting the next Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, but the, the show, both in terms of its writing and its animation, was far beyond anything that was on TV at the time, except for what Warner Brothers was doing with Batman and Animaniacs and things like yeah. that. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, like, the, like, like, like the first, the first plot is all about like politics and murder centered around a rogue T Rex that's attacking miners, and it's lifted right from the first issue of Xenozoic Tales. That's very cool. I it, never it got a chance to see for, it for Saturday morning. <laughs> I never got the chance to see that. That's one that I'm gonna have to track down because it, it, ne I, I mean, I was aware of the comic and I, I picked up the RPG, never. Heard that it graduated into animation. Yeah, I'm not, and the animation is gorgeous. It's like the comic book came to life. I don't, I do not know if it has ever legitimately been released on DVD, but if you have the right connections, you can find it. All right, all right. What year? What year did that come out? Uh, that came out. Uh, let me double check here. That came out in uh, 1993. Okay. Ran for 13 episodes. Wow. Oh, and uh, screen screenwriter Stephen E. D'Souza was the one who developed it for television. Uh, D'Souza. Um, He's written for the Six Million Dollar Man, Knight Rider, The Powers of Matthew Starr, uh, and also Die Hard. Wow, The okay. Powers of Matthew Starr. I don't. I can't tell you the last time I even heard that mentioned. Wow. <laughs> I thought one of you would recognize that one. Yeah. I, I, I did. I did. I, I don't remember it. Uh, I don't remember what it was about, but it's one of those titles, like the girl, the gold watch, and everything, that you're just going to remember, you know, uh, no matter what. Wow. Uh, wow. All right. That's some nostalgia for us. 1993, which makes it mm, 24 years old, 20, 23 years old. Well, every, everything we talk about. Mostly is nostalgic because we're old, old mockers, fussy, fussy old grognards. That that William T. Thrasher, he's that he's that sprightful youth that we have on the show because he is full of youthful vigorance and he knows. yeah, but he's he's still calling out shows that are twenty five years old. I, I, know. I, I am well versed in the ways of pop culture. It's it's my bread and butter. It's wow. like, well, oh, he's well, his his old stuff's from the nineties. We're going we go back to the seventies, sir. Fair so, Fair so, all right, folks. That was our uh, top five uh, favorite post-apocalyptic TV shows. You know, so we tried. We had a, you know one overlap because me and Scott just thought they were fantastic, and I, I enjoyed a lot of Will's picks. You know, again, you know, again, we I love having Will on uh, because we know he is going to bring different stuff to the table, and we because we de we definitely need that. You know, because I said. Like we always say, you know, we like what we like, and we're going to talk about what we like. But I like to bring, I like to bring different perspectives. 
So well, I uh, would. I, I was aware of Cleopatra twenty five twenty five. I was not aware that it was a post apocalyptic. So, I I never. You know, it just it just looked like oh look tits and ass. I whatever, and I just went. I just shot right past it. Um, never even gave it a second thought. Now I am going to have to go back, and if for no other reason, you know, I mean. I mean, yes, it had Gina Torres' legs and midriff. That's all well and good, but uh, that was not enough to move me until now I know it's it's going to be also post-apocalyptic. Okay. Wow. So so that's so that's going to be it for this week, folks. That's our, again, top five post-apocalyptic TV series. And uh, that's, this will actually be our last show for the year. Uh, hey, hey, one thing I want to note, except what? for Survivors, uh, we have very few of these shows that lasted more than a season. That's you true. Notice? The post-apocalypse does not seem to uh, lend itself very well or be very popular with the uh, with um, uh, the powers that be at the networks, except, I guess, um, really only The Walking Dead. Well, yeah. Well, again, that was a lot of this was in the past, but now apocalypse stuff has become more popular. So I think if you brought some of this stuff out in a more now, you might give a, you might get a little more life out of it. You know, you're, you're probably right. You're probably right. There has been a a big upsurge in post-apocalyptic uh, fiction and pop culture. I mean, and but then also a lot of it was also British stuff. So a lot of times British stuff is like they tell the story and they walk away. You know, they know when to end. Yeah, exactly. Whereas American TV is like, oh, we've been on for 15 seasons. Okay, time done. Okay, we're done. We're tired. Well, we're you know, done. American TV series tend to operate like um, Aaron Eckhart was talking about in um, fucking Dark Knight. You know, you either die here or you live long enough to see yourself become part of the problem. And that's what <laughs> most TV, Star Trek in the 60s, they died a hero. Yeah. You know, Firefly, died a hero. Died a hero. And there's and meanwhile we've got things like Supernatural that is very is the X Files those shows became the villain at some point they really did I don't know what's going to happen with this X Files six episode reboot thing I hope they can just do six episodes and get out you know we will than, we will wait and see we will have to wait and see so. So, but that's it, folks. We're going to wrap it up for this week. This will be our la our last show for the year uh, because we have uh, holidays. holidays. You know, so we have Christmas coming up, and we got New Year's, and then you know we only have one more Monday. So I got uh, shopping to do. Has everybody done? The Nobody's done the shopping. Has anyone done uh, the shopping? I've done what I need to do. Uh, I have I have a Christmas tree full of presents underneath. We're all done. So okay. Um, but I am the only person who has failed to do all this Christmas shopping. I am in so much trouble. That's okay. So, But again, it's our last show for the years, folks, so uh, we were now 50. And I looked. Uh, we have actually have not done a full episode, uh, episode on Survivors. We've talked about it under the – we've talked about it under the virus apocalypses. We've talked about it on uh, post-apocalyptic TV shows in general, especially in the 70s, but we have not done a full – we did the Triffids. We did not do a full Survivors, and I thought about that before. So in the near future, we're going to have to do a whole uh, episode on all, all the iterations. That means i got to track down the new one and watch those first. It's, you'll enjoy how terrible it is because it's terrible. <laughs> yeah, but, so, but, I, but I need to watch it so we can make some, you know, you know, some intelligent comparisons. You know, we, we don't want to be um, 
divisive and uh, ignorant, or whatever the hell we were called. So uh, it was it was uh, editions wars at its worst. At its worst. So that's that's who I am. So, all right, folks. So that's it for uh, 2015. So we're gonna wish everybody a merry holiday, whatever you are celebrating. Have a merry holiday, or if you've already had your holiday, merry holiday, merry new year, happy new year. Uh, to everybody, we're going to pick this up again in 2016 in January. What are we going to do? We don't know. Me and, Scott will, me and Scott will talk about it. We'll let you know. So thank you, Scott. Thank you, Will. And thank you, thank you, me. To our audience, thank you for being here. Thank you for uh, being with us this year and into next year and blah, blah, blah. Who cares? Uh, I'm just going on at this point. I'm just hoping that sometime next year I'll get to play Fallout so I can rant about it on the show. Hey, oh, hey Jared. Jared? Yes? Merry Christmas at Ground Zero. Merry, yeah. Christmas. Chris yeah. Merry Christmas at Ground Zero. Christmas, Christmas from Ground Zero. Yes, I'll have to, we'll have to uh, post, weird, post some Weird Al going on there. So, again, thank you, folks. We will see you in the wastelands. <laughs>